Healthy workplaces are characterized by strong communication, mutual respect, and attention to work relationships. And there's no denying that work and workplaces are currently experiencing a crisis. Dr. Marie Gervais, whose newly released book, The Spirit of Work, is a path to the enhancement of the soul. For returning guests, welcome back. And for those who are new here, I'm Andrea Samadhi, author and educator with a passion for learning, understanding difficult concepts, and breaking them down so we can all use and apply the most current research to improve productivity and results in our schools, our sports environments, and modern workplaces. On today's episode number 214, we'll be speaking with Dr. Marie Gervais, the CEO of Shift Management Inc. and the author of The Spirit of Work, where she offers a high level yet approachable model in rethinking how we view and structure work. Her book delves into the fascinating relationship between people and work, combining ancient wisdom, modern science, spirituality, and real world examples to share insights into developing a soul-sustaining workplace culture. She also has a podcast herself, the Culture and Leadership Podcast, where she dives deeper into this topic. After releasing three interviews this year on workplace burnout, it's been clear that workplaces around the world are indeed experiencing a crisis, as I've had many messages relating to individuals with their specific workplace struggle, And Dr. Gervais highlights this new workplace problem in the beginning of her book when she shares that statistics about workplace engagement, happiness, and satisfaction have shown consistent decline and saw significant change since the event of the coronavirus pandemic. If you're a leader, a change maker, or anyone looking to build a humane and sustainable system of work and can see that something needs to change in your workplace, this interview is for you. I hope we can all learn some new perspectives to create happier workplaces where productivity and creativity soar by looking at how to build our future managers with skills that are based on what humans need to succeed and develop in our future workplaces. In today's episode, we'll cover the interconnection between science, business practices, and sacred texts as they relate to work. We'll look at practical tools and workplace examples to apply to management as a soul-enhancing journey. We'll rethink common but destructive workplace cultural assumptions so we can see ourselves as a spiritual being with thoughts and actions that have lasting effects. This episode has already made me move from my thinking or intellectual mind and see what we can learn together when we incorporate our spirit or our soul into our daily work. Let's meet Dr. Marie Gervais. Welcome, Dr. Gervais. It's so wonderful to meet you. Thank you for coming on the podcast all the way from Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, which I still consider my home country because I grew up in Canada. Welcome. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you so much for for inviting me to be a part of your podcast. And I'm very impressed with how organized you are with your questions and your back notes and everything. It's just, it's a cut above the rest, I must say. Well, thank you. Thank you so much because you almost had no questions, right? Like something weird that we'll get into. I put a considerable amount of time into preparing for each interview and just something really weird that's never happened to me before happened with yours. But um, before I get into that, I just wonder because you, I, I heard you talk about how releasing a book for you, your new book, The Spirit of Work has just been released. And I watched you unbox it. And I know you put your heart, your soul and your mind into into this book. And I saw that enthusiasm and and excitement as you're opening up the box. And I related when you said that releasing your book was like pushing a boulder up a hill. So how has this release and book journey been for you? 
just just like pushing a boulder up the hill. <laughs> you just, I mean, the I thought when you've written the book, the publishing part would be the would be easy, but I I really had no idea how much work it took, and that you know I'm working was working with the publishing company, but it's not like they just do everything. They go, okay, do you like this image or that image? Do you want this tone or that tone? Has this Is this editing, editing consistent with what you want to say or inconsistent with what you want to say? And then you go through three different editing processes and you have to be really careful about thinking about that. And they're so, it's, it's like, it was a really engaging uh, process and they give you every step of the way. They go, okay, now you're onto this. Now you're onto this. So you have actually six days to get this one done. And it was like, okay, I have a business. How do I fit all this stuff in? <laughs> so it, um, it was, it was a lot of, a lot of work. And then I, I had different people that worked with me. And so the, the, the publishing expert did one thing and the marketing expert did another thing. And them, and I got a really nice compliment from the marketing, uh, the marketing expert. He said, I have never worked with an author who had such a comprehensive marketing program without my help. And I went, really? That's great. <laughs> well, I mean, you still yeah. gave me some really good suggestions for where to go and how to make, how to make adjustments and things. But I, I didn't think that what I was doing was anything special. In fact, I thought it was way behind everybody else. I thought everyone else is doing way better than me and hope I can catch up someday. No, <laughs> so yeah, I really, no. really did feel like a lot of work. Yeah, absolutely. When I saw what you were doing, even the amount of podcasts you've done already, and just looking at your Instagram page that you're, you know, you're showcasing and you really have to do this when you release something, it's all up to you. They're not going to go, okay, you know, like today at three o'clock, we're going to unbox the book, show up. It's all on you, right? That's. Yeah. And what I found is the things that I did with the least amount of like, I just come back from the airport when I unboxed the book and my husband said, oh, look, the, the some of the books, your first promo package books have arrived. And I went, oh, really? take my my phone and just do a video and I had I was like really dead tired I had no makeup on <laughs> afterwards I looked at it and I thought oh I look so bad everyone I had so many comments on that it, all the social media I put it on people just kept commenting on it and and so you do that and then the other stuff that you've planned and that looks more polished you may not get as much reach from so you don't know you just have to keep doing what you what you think you should do and it eventually something works out well, I was so impressed when I saw everything um, from, from start here, and I'm sure that we're going to really uncover and go deep into the spirit of work. And so I've got to, I've got to tell the story behind your episode, because with content creation, there's so many twists and turns. And, you know, I really try to separate myself from other podcasts with the research that I do. I try to tie it to the most current neuroscience research, like how the brain connects to what we're doing to really make an impact for people. And so the, the research that I, I did for you, I started a couple of weeks ago, you know, just reading your book, trying to make connections to the real world so that when this episode comes out, that what we talk about can really help people. And so something happened that's never happened in all the years I've been creating content, but uh, I, I must have saved your uh, questions after I finished them. I remember saying, I'm finished. Yes. Saved it on my desktop. And I don't know, did I hit delete everything and I saved it delete? I don't know. But I sent off to your team a blank version of the questions. And thank goodness I saw it the next day because I had time to recreate your questions but I know there's lessons that we learn with everything we do. And I think for me that I really had to look at the spirit of work. And so I noticed that when I was watching you unbox your book, that I saw your spirit or I saw how you were connecting to how you're going to help the world. And I think that I needed to rework your questions in a new way. So what do you think about this aha moment that I had? Maybe that the first original set of questions just might not have gone into the spirit of work. What, what do you think happened with the fact I had to redo your questions? I actually think probably both sets of questions would have worked fine because there's this interplay and a dynamic when you are interviewing with someone and and things come up on both sides that you weren't expecting. And podcast hosts are pretty good with responding to those things. So I'm not, I, but I think that the for you, maybe that, <laughs> with this fear of having lost everything and the, and the loss of the time that you put into it, would it hurt? 
a little I was bit. feeling your pain when I saw that. And I thought, oh, no, I feel bad for her because I know what it takes to do all these things. And I just, um, I don't, I don't know if it has to do with the spirit of work. It's just that it, when you're doing something that matters to you, you're willing to put the time into it, even if it's inconvenient. And that's what you did. Um, so, yeah. so just honoring you for your spirit of work. Thank you. Thank you. No, it really matters. That whole behind the scenes part that no one gets to see. And then off I send the the script and then we normally have a wonderful whatever it turns out to be but it started it always starts a few weeks before so um it, it was just an interesting moment to have um before recording this episode so what does the spirit of work mean to you like it meant something to me obviously after i lost the work i thought well what what should i've learned from this but how did a negative experience from your job years ago lead you to continuously ask questions about workplace culture leading you to write this book well i've had lots of work negative experiences my first job was when i was a dishwasher at age 13 uh, for an institution and i was the youngest person they you know they were they hired me because they could pay me two dollars an hour <laughs> and um, and the person who was in charge of the team, because the institution did catering for different events and things like that, the person who was in charge of the team said to me, so um, you're in junior high right now. Are you planning on going to high school? And I went, um, yeah, I, I, why wouldn't I? And she said, well, I never finished high school, so why would you? And at that moment onward, she made my life very difficult. And and I, I thought at the time, why? what difference does it make whether you whether someone you're working with has finished high school or not. Um, but apparently it made a really big difference to her. It had something to do with her her approach to work, which was she had to be the smartest person in the room and the one with the most experience. And if anyone else had more education or more experience or any other kind of smarts, she felt intimidated by it. I, that wasn't what I articulated when I was 13, but on reflection, a few years later, that's what I thought. I thought, oh, that's why it was so hard to, you couldn't do anything. I couldn't do anything right. So that was my my first one. But I have had many negative work experiences, each for different reasons. But I think what stood out the most for me in my negative work experiences was feeling excluded because, or left out, or given a lower salary because I was a woman, and only finding out about that later. And it particularly hit me hard when I had a university position and I, I was an instructor. I wasn't like um, a professor at that point, but I was an instructor. And I was tasked with helping someone else who was a professor to improve their teaching skills. And then after that, he was given my job and I had been paid a third of what he was being paid. And three months later, he was fired because he didn't have the capacity and he was very irresponsible. So because he was a man, he was hired for his potential. And as a woman, I was hired for my existing competency, but paid a third of what he was paid. And I only found that out two years later. It really burned. <laughs> yeah, it's interesting, these um, burning situations in the workplace. When I remember when I had to leave a higher paying position to because I had to stop traveling. I had to um, go from the field to inside sales. And I remember a manager telling me, no one makes what you made in the field. We have to lower your salary. And I thought, okay, if that's the only way I can, you know, stop traveling, I'll do it. Come to find out, you know, years later, how many people had higher salaries than what they lowered me. And I wanted to just rip her eyes out. I was like, that was the meanest thing anyone's ever done to me in the workplace. But and it, it even happened with uh, Indra Nui, who was the CEO of PepsiCo for a, a number of years. And they, you know, they paid her less than others because, and she felt at the time she couldn't say anything about it. Right. And then she thought, well, you know, I'm getting a good wage, so it's, it's good enough. But why would you just say, because you're a woman and because you're a woman of color, you get less money. That's just the way it goes. Right. So suck it up. Right. Like, and that's what the HR department told her several times in a row. Oh, wow. Yeah. <laughs> and that was not so long ago. That's like five or six years ago. Wow. 
And we could talk about this one and go on so many we could, tangents. Yeah. <laughs> the, I, I know that anyone listening, it's happened to them. It's happened to me. It's something we never forget. And, and I'll never forget the people that stifled me from forward uh, motion in, in a company. The people mm-hmm. that, that, that said, no, I don't want you to do this. Whether it was... Um, you know, trying to move forward and go into different par- departments saying, no, you need to be here. It's like, you, you just never forget those experiences. So we, you also remember the experiences of kindness and ha- people helping you out. Oh yeah. And, you know, and someone who's like on your side when you really needed a friend and there was somebody there and it wasn't usually who you expected. Yep. Those, those really make a difference too. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. Do you want to hear yeah. one of those? Yes. And that's where we're going with this because that's, that's why we're doing this podcast for sure. Not to go down, although it's, it's great talking about all those mean people that we'll never forget, but yeah, let's talk about the people that really support. Well, after, you know, this is my business now, this is the 16th year of the business. It's my fourth career, but when I was in the middle of a recession and I was madly scrambling to try and figure out how I could find more work, I stumbled upon the manufacturing industry's um, leadership journal, one of their leadership journals, and I was very taken by the journal. And I and I joined joined the group, and I went to a conference there. And I didn't I had some experience with with training manufacturing managers, but I didn't know as much about the manufacturing industry as I do now. And I would still say there's so much to learn, but it was really it was interesting to me. But I felt really out of my element. Because I come from, you know, work and culture, culture in the workplace and not manufacturing specifically. So after, I mean, since then, I've been went to a bunch of different things and learned stuff and took some courses and, and improved my, my background knowledge. But at the time, I didn't have that much knowledge. And the editors of the journal, were, who were also interviewing people, went out of their way to include me. And they... They brought me into every possible situation and they asked me very nicely and respectfully, um, I'd really like to hear what Marie has to say about this. This is this is a perspective that we probably don't know and we should hear from her. And I was like uh, more mortified because I thought, what do I say in the presence of the CEO of Johnson & Johnson or you know, L'Oreal or one of those big companies? I was just like, I don't think I'm ready for this, right? And and then if I didn't answer, he'd say, I'll come back to you in a minute. And he was just so gracious about it. And all four of the editors like that, all four of the men, men, all male editors, they were so supportive and helpful. And they kept building me up all the time, bringing me on calls, asking me to contribute to the the journal um, and, and showcasing the things that I did. And I was so grateful for it. I felt really validated. And, and I complimented them on that and said, well, they said, well, that's, I mean, they did that with everybody, but I felt like it was really personal for me, right? Mm-hmm. And they said, well, because, you know, you really were bringing a fresh fresh perspective and we really are thinking in a rut and we really did need to hear from you. And I said, we weren't just making that up. And I went, you were? Like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So that was, to me, those were, I mean, that was me coming in, you know, which is as, as a business, as a business person, but it was still the same. It was this experience of feeling validated and appreciated and 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 that people asked curious questions and thought wow let's bring this person in here we need we need her and I had not experienced much of that most of it was like let's this person is scary let's you know let's see what we can do to make to to ignore her (laughs) I'm sure sure you've experienced that too definitely definitely and then you're you're right you're absolutely right it's an, an amazing experience I think when a company can open up I talked about it on my last podcast episode a think tank where you start to pick the employees brains it's like then you get to see just what you experienced and how incredible that made you feel everyone has that in them to contribute in some way but most people never get asked they don't and if you ask them, you can find a whole bunch of stuff out because often people are willing to answer. Mm-hmm. The other thing that just briefly is this idea that you know, with neuroscience, I didn't know at the time I do now because I've been you know, training as a master practitioner in um, EFT, so emotional freedom and trauma tapping and, and things like that. So, it's, But at the time, I didn't realize how other people were being triggered, how I was being triggered, what people's nervous systems were doing to them. And had I understood that, I would have been able to negotiate things so much better. And I think my negotiation skills are better now because I'm aware of people having a nervous system. I'm aware of my own. Oh, I'm feeling kind of defensive right now. I think I'm just going to put that on hold and breathe. And then two seconds later, I'm back, right? right? Things like that, I didn't know at the time that I know now. And I think people 
really need to learn from that, the, the benefits of neuroscience and understanding nervous systems and how the brain works are so significant. Oh, it's so helpful. Definitely. Definitely. This is, it's so interesting, this perspective you bring. So I want to, I want to go into something that I've covered a lot on the podcast, the idea that we as human beings live simultaneously on three planes. So we've got our spiritual, our soul side, our intellectual, our mental side, and then our physical side. And we started very early in our episodes with Dr. Dan Siegel. He talked about the mindset or, you know, that being the basis for social and emotional intelligence. And then we moved on to Dr. John Medina. He talked about theory of mind and being able to see the mind of others to connect on a deeper level. And my good dear mentor, Bob Proctor, who recently passed away earlier in the year, he talked about paying attention to our spiritual side in the creative process. So what can you say about our mind, body, and soul connection that you see is important in the workplace that we've probably never thought about? Well, I talk about that a lot in the book. The first premise is that we are spiritual beings having a physical experience, and that physical experience is meant to inform us. And we're also having an emotional experience, which is not necessarily the same as a spiritual experience. There can be some overlap. Uh, and we're having an intellectual experience. You know, we're having a discovering the mysteries of the universe experience. So we're having all these multiple experiences at the same time. And integrating them only with thinking and saying, I think I can figure this out and I'm rational, is maybe 10% of your capacity to understand the world and read reality. So it's so important to say, what's my body experiencing right now? What are the sensations? What's my heart telling me? What are the, how is that? I'm in a context, I'm in a collective context and everything around me is, man is organic with the world. So the systems are affecting me and I'm affecting the systems. And, and if I don't know those things, I'm going to keep going down this narrow little path and make decisions based on incorrect and insufficient data. So they will be inevitably wrong. So we have to come to understanding from a more holistic perspective because we're making bad decisions, obviously from the state of the world. Mm -hmm. So how do we take this and build workplaces that we love, where we can be with others in healthy, enjoyable interactions and solve conflicts easily? Where do we even begin with this? What have you created in your book? Well, I, I started out with the idea, first off, that we don't um, leave our baggage at the door, that you come bring your body to work, bring your mind to work, bring your heart to work, bring your soul to work. And you are bringing your community to work, whether you know it or not. Do you know who you're bringing? So um, that's those are the five main themes of the book and spread out across eight chapters. And so I take the teachings of the, the sacred texts and teachings and stories from uh, the world religions and apply them to a work context, which I don't think has been done yet. I know people people are weaving those kinds of ideas into what they're doing. And often they do it from their own denominational perspective. They're not looking at it from what's out there, what's the wisdom of the ages, and how can we apply this to work? So I think having that kind of a, a wide lens can be very helpful. And But to apply it practically, soul-enhancing rather than soul-diminishing words, thoughts, and actions is the way an individual can engage with this. So a soul-enhancing uh, thought would be wow, um, she looks tired, I guess I should go over and say hello. Or it might be um, uh, walking down the street and thinking, look at all these lovely people. Too bad I don't have time to meet all of them today. You know, like it's, you're thinking what would expand. Um, and when you're given the, the choice between doing something that would be mean spirit and spirited and reactive and doing something that would be responsive and appropriate, you choose to do responsive and appropriate, even if it's harder, because you want to respond in such a way that the other person feels doesn't feel damaged. And when you do do something that causes damage, you make you make reparations. You make an attempt to make reparations. So those that it's based in the idea that expand when you're doing soul enhancing thoughts and actions, you're expanding human potential, your own and that of others. So you'll see in the workplace, you'll see people being creative, people being feeling free to speak what they what what 
comes to mind, but they're doing it in a kind way because they're concerned about how it's landing and if people can hear it. Um, you'll see lots of virtues. You'll see helpfulness. You'll see cooperation. You know, you'll, you'll see joy. And in a soul-diminished workplace, you'll see anger, negativity, even hatred happening. Um, you'll see um, inequity. You'll, you'll see, you reach the point where you see grinding misery and tyranny. That's the extreme. Um, but if it goes unchecked, that's what it becomes because it becomes the norm of the workplace culture, which is, it becomes toxic. And I know in some provinces in Canada and at quite a number of states in the United States as well, uh, it is now considered a workplace hazard to not address a toxic workplace culture. And that means you can take that to, to court. It can be a human rights issue. It can be a work, uh, uh, workers' compensation issue, all of those things. And they are now starting to appear in um, in court cases and in uh, workplace investigations and things like that. So people are, we're reaching the point where workplaces have to face up to it, but they don't have any tools. And this is a simple tool. It's, you know, is this, I'm going to say something right now. Is this kind? Right. <laughs> is this honest and kind? Yeah. <laughs> you yeah. know, you can just ask yourself some probing, probing questions. Or I did this today. I think tomorrow I could probably pay attention to that and do better. Right. Or this went really well. I got to do more of that. So those, the, I think that that's a good way for an individual to start. I have also several models in the book that can help. I have a swell, the swell model, which you can talk about for one of your other questions. I have the virtuous progression model. Um, and then I have different, within each chapter, there's lots of interesting things for how people can see the body, like, or the, or the heart or the, or the mind in a completely different way. Like, how do you bring your mind to work if you have, um, if you have a, a handicap and you can't think that well? Um, how do you bring your mind to work if you're uh, if you're doing a repetitive job? How do you bring your mind to work if you're doing a really high-minded uh, technical job that requires really specialized skill? And do, how do all of those people bring their minds to work collectively so that we can all benefit from it? Those kinds of things, when you start reading the book, you go, wow, I never thought of that. I wonder if we could do this a little bit differently. So that would help organizations to improve what they're doing. Oh, this is this is interesting. Like even just beginning to think of looking at someone, like you said, soul enhancing or soul diminishing. I started to think about the person as a soul. And I know that our soul is always for expansion. We always want to do more. Like our beginning example was just us talking about the times that we couldn't do more. Mm -hmm. And so your examples are incredible to expanding what we want to be in the workplace. Yeah, and that, you know, the, the four editors of the Manufacturing Leadership Journal, their behavior and thoughts and attitude and actions towards me, I, I felt that as being expansive. And it gave me the courage to move forward for years, speaking to high-level people without feeling inadequate. Whereas before I was thinking, oh, I I'm really too low on the, on the food chain to approach this person. But I don't, I, that doesn't even cross my mind anymore. It's because of them. It's because of their soul-enhancing behavior. It allowed me to see myself in a more expanded, in a more expanded way. So this is, is where work, the work environment needs to be. And I know that we've all experienced places that aren't like that. But so here's a quote that I saw you post on your social media that really made sense to me. And I'm sure anyone listening would agree that true leaders don't create followers. They create more leaders, just what we're talking about. They push people to expand and be and do more in the workplace but often this isn't what happens. There's no room for new ideas. I remember I got once told um, I'd been picked to speak at an event. Um, someone had seen that I did some work for the National Speakers Association. So they said, let's get Andrea to speak. And one of my managers from above said, nope, she's not talking, get her off the list. And I remember being squashed and thinking this guy has no idea what I do in my spare time. But uh, so he wasn't creating leaders. Um, but so this is, is a very rare experience in the workplace. So and if you think about it, it's almost impossible for someone to go from the bottom of an organization to the top within that same organization without having to leave and prove themselves somewhere else. So what do you think about this whole concept? What's behind 
this idea of where managers or leaders are not creating other leaders, but squash them into a corner so they have to leave and come back. Well, if we go back to my dishwasher experience, that that woman felt threatened because she didn't feel she had much to offer herself. So she thought, I have to surround myself with people who are less than me rather than more than me. And when people feel threatened and they feel psychologically unsafe or from a career perspective, they feel like their, their career may not be safe or solid, then they engage in these kinds of destructive behaviors. And so one way to deal with that, if you are an individual working with someone like that, is to is to speak to their spirit rather than to speak to their actions. So, you know, um, which would be, I really value this in you. I want to tell you how much I appreciate this particular thing that you do so well. Um, and even in the case of uh, a woman that I interviewed who was coming from China and who was way overqualified for, for the first job that she got, um, she went to one of the people in the construction uh the construction company where she was working as a, as a lower level accountant. And she said, you know, I really think I have a lot to learn from you. And I'm wondering if you would mentor me on, and then she named what she was, what she was interested in. And I mean, in her situation, I would have thought these people are incompetent and I'm stuck here, <laughs> but she didn't think that she chose instead to, to say, there's something here that I can learn from everybody. Let me pick one person and see, you know, and, and she, she actually, so they stopped feeling threatened because she was sincerely finding something that she could appreciate and that she could speak to. And because of that, they lost their fear of someone taking over. And the, the story has a really happy ending. And it is that, you know, she discovered through looking at the systems of accounting, which were a complete mess. Uh, she, she, she said, my philosophy is always look to see what's already there and try and find out what the history is, because there's a reason why everything is the way it is. So if I can find anything out about the history, that might help me to understand it. Instead of going in and saying, let's change this, this is not working. And so she discovered that in their accounting system that there were a million dollars of unpaid bills. I mean, unpaid um, in accounts payable to them, right? Oh, so wow. they didn't, they, they were missing a million dollars just because of horrible accounting. So she went to this person who she asked to mentor her. And she said, I have discovered something that is um, a problem. And that is, you've lost a million dollars worth of revenue because, you know, that bills haven't been collected. And um, can I share an idea with you about how we could maybe fix this problem? And he was all ears at that point, because he felt supported instead of threatened. Mm -hmm. And so she did it. And they were so grateful that they promoted her. And then when she did eventually leave, they were practically eating out of her hands. <laughs> and they said, can you find us more people from the Chinese community with your accounting skills and your good diagnosis skills and your, your great tact? Because we want to hire someone just like you. And they hired three more people from her community that normally would never have been considered. That's a good story. Wow. So I actually think that I didn't post, I just liked somebody else's true leaders don't create followers, they create more leaders. I think creating safety is more important than creating a leader and that moves up or down. And when people feel safe, they're more likely to want to co collaborate with you. And I don't think I did that. I don't think I made people feel safe and I'm much better at it now, <laughs> uh, but it's a lifetime of learning, right? But, mm -hmm. and then I also think that um, great leaders promote unity of thought. They do that by encouraging diversity of opinion and then saying, this is the vision. How do we get there? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, what about someone who's promoted into a position of leadership? Maybe they had a tech background and now they're in this um, new role and now they're dealing with people and all their complexity, their mind, body, soul, their emotions. What keys to success would you offer for this new position to unlock the skills that will accelerate anyone in the workplace in this new position of management? Well, firstly, what they already know about learning tech things, they can also apply to learning people things. I use this in the supervisor leadership course that I work use with people that are te all technical trained and they've been promoted up from operations into management. So, you know, you're really good at doing this. So if you're doing, if you apply this to people, it'll look kind of like this. And then they go, oh, 
really? That's, I never thought of that. Um, and they start, they start to make connections. Um, I worked with a guy who was very good at analyzing uh, problems with uh, oil well pumps. And so he, and he said, I just don't have the people skills because, you know, I grew up in a foster home and I never learned any of this stuff. Um, I just know I have a wife that I really love and she loves me. And that's all, that's all I know for people skills. <laughs> and when we looked at how he analyzed it, well, if you have a machine problem, what do you do? And he told me, I walked me through it and it was really brilliant. And I said, okay, well, why don't we just do that with something that you think is a, a people problem for you? And he named what it was. And we walked, we just did the same thing. And he went, huh, I'm better than I thought. <laughs> so I think, I think that taking what you know and applying it to a new context requires a bit of a bridge. Uh, so that would be one. But the other thing, if you want to really start thinking about being more holistic in the way you approach things is have a, everybody who's famous about this has a morning routine, right? Mm-hmm. Got a morning routine. And they start with maybe five minutes and then they expand it oftentimes up to about an hour and a half of time, first thing in the morning, where they do certain things that help them to be grounded and centered. They read quotes, they may say prayers, they may meditate, they may do some exercises, they may do some self, some emotional regulation things, they may choose from a virtues card deck and say, how do do I apply this virtue today? But they have a spiritual practice uh, that can be used to help them understand things better. And then finally, ask curious questions. I wonder why this happens. I wonder why so-and-so did that. I wonder if I could ask them what happened just now and see what they would say. It's instead of thinking, oh no, <laughs> I'm going to be wrong. I'm going to make a mistake. It's like, I wonder what, if I could learn more about this. Um, another story, uh, <laughs> talking to a guy who um, was working in, um, not Abu Dhabi, uh, Dhabi, but one of the countries where they have a lot of, uh, they have a lot of expats coming in and working for a while and then leaving. And so he was speaking to his, one of his team uh, uh, managers and that he did, thought, oh, what do I have? I don't know anything. He asked this guy, what should I ask you? Are you married? He said, and the guy said, yeah, I have four wives. And so then he said, the, the man that I was speaking to said, four wives, what's that like for you? And the guy said, oh, it is so complicated. You have no idea. And that started them off on a relationship. Right. <laughs> Oh, that's funny. That's interesting. I did some work uh, in Dubai back back in the day selling real estate in the middle of the night. And it's definitely different when you're Mm -hmm. dealing with different countries and the things that you have to say and not say. So that's that's a funny story. Yeah. So I did not, this was gender, the same gender. So had he been a woman speaking to a man and vice or vice versa, that would have not gone off the same way. You would have had to have a whole bunch of protocols in place first, for sure. Definitely. Well, mm-hmm. what about some common mistakes that you see in the workplace that leaders can avoid with your experience? Well, I think the most common mistake that I see is just jumping in with a solution before you know what the heck is going on. Mm-hmm. So you people's identity as a as a manager is, oh, I have to solve everybody else's problems. When in fact, it's more about how can I empower the team and build capacity within the team so we can solve the problem together and how we can you know, improve the skills of everybody. So if somebody's sick, we've got other people that can help. And so if you jump in too soon with a solution, also you create a dependency or codependency. And also then people don't have to take responsibility for it. They can go, oh, well, see, you told me to do this and it didn't work. So it's not my fault. So if you want to develop accountability, you need to say, oh, tell me more. What have you already done? How did that work for you? What have you done in the past that worked? What are your ideas to get past this, this, this obstacle? I see you as being resilient and resourceful. Prove me right. Things like that, right? Instead of jumping in with a, with a solution right away. And then after you've tried that, come back and we'll talk again. Those kinds of things help to get more data and also to empower people. So I would say that's the, the first one. The other one is just not talking to people at all, just texting them, avoiding them, dealing with your email, and never really having a conversation. And um, we're social beings. We need, to, we need to connect and feel connected and feel acknowledged. And you just don't feel connected and acknowledged if you're just receiving texts from people. 
especially during COVID where people were hired and they'd never met anyone on their team. Yeah. yeah and in one course, I just about cried. I had this cohort of people together and one of the managers said, I've been hired. I've been here for 18 months. I haven't met anybody except my t- immediate team of three people who deal with shipping in the middle of the night. And uh, I ha- no, my boss hasn't come to see me. Nobody has introduced themselves. If it weren't for this course, I would know nobody in this company because during the course, we had this Zoom meeting with five other people. So he met five other people he wouldn't have met. And it was still on Zoom. If it weren't for this course, I would know nobody here. 18 months. So lonely. That's hard to, to self-motivate too. Yeah. People need to talk to each other. <laughs> yeah. Well, th- this next question I have for you is left out of all the corporate training I've ever gone through, but it was the center of the work that I did in my spare time, uh, all, the, all the reading that I did, and, and it came from working with a motivational speaker. We were always looking at how our past would show up in our present day life and identify subconscious blocks that might be holding us back. How can leaders help their team members to identify these blocks? You know, is this something that we talk more about in the workplace? Like, let's say someone's year after year not hitting their goals. It could be like a money block or, you know, someone's got a health block. We've, we've all got blocks that we've got to uncover. How are you addressing these things in the workplace these days? I don't think I can address it directly because I work with people indirectly because I'm coming in on contract. Mm-hmm. Um, if I were within the in the company, I would address it in a variety of different ways. But what I do, I do teach people emotional regulation in my courses, which I never did before. So I say, when you're going through this course, it's going to feel like it's added on to your workload. And it might feel, you might may feel defensive about that. You may feel resentful. You may be excited that it's a new opportunity, but you'll feel overwhelmed. So if you, if you have any of those feelings, that's perfectly normal. Can I give you a couple of techniques that you, can help you to calm down and focus so you can prioritize? And they, you, they go, yeah, let's do it, right? Mm-hmm. So I start with teaching them breathing. So we just go breathe in and breathe out. And with your team, let's just take a breath together. And when everybody takes a breath together, collaboratively, even online, it really calms them down. So I just show them that if they're interested, I show them a few more, but just there's, there's some really useful breathing techniques to help you calm yourself down. Um, another one is breathe in to, to three, hold, breathe out to three, wait, and then do it again. And you do that three times and you slow it down each time guaranteed to calm you down. And then I have another one that you can use to wake yourself up if you have to get to the end of your shift and you're exhausted and you need to wake up. So I teach them those those breathing techniques. And then I also teach them how to tap on the um, the acupunct- acupuncture points, even though a part of me is feeling really overwhelmed right now with this course. I accept that that's where I'm at right now. In this moment, I'm feeling overwhelmed. Right now, I accept that that's how I'm feeling. That may change, but right now, I definitely feel overwhelmed. I'd say it's a 10 out of 10. That's how overwhelmed I feel. This overwhelm, 10 out of 10, you tap on all of the points, your eyebrow, your side of your eye, and you just go through that collarbone, under the arm, top of the head. You go through that three or four times, and then you go, so where is that overwhelm right now? How overwhelmed are you feeling? And people always say, wow, it's a lot. It's changed. It's better. So they'll go something like, well, it's coming down, or it's a soft 10. It's not like a full-fledged anxious 10. Uh, and then, or, and you just, you tap for another minute and they go, oh, that's right. That's like a three. How does this even work? I don't even believe in this gobbledygook. And I say, you don't have to believe it. It's your nervous system responding to you. Oh. <laughs> you know, you touch the points on your nervous system and your nervous system goes, oh, thank you. <laughs> I needed that. <laughs> I love that. that like you- drinking a glass of water when you're thirsty. Oh, thank yeah. you. I needed that. You were so lucky that you're at this place because when I was in the corporate world, but let's go back when I worked for that corporation, I was asked to do some unique strategies and I brought tapping into my team to help them with um, overwhelm and some problems. And I'm telling you, not one person thought it was like a, a, a good strategy. They, 
the eyes that were wide open. I'm sure people still make fun of me <laughs> behind my back. Oh, there's the girl that does that weird strategy. Like it, it was 10 years ago. It was really difficult to talk about this. In oh yeah. Things have improved because mainly the pandemic has just opened people's receptivity. Sure. Uh, I mean, so two recessions and a pandemic have made people so stressed and anxious that they can't de- deny this anymore. Right. And so I would say that this is at this point, I mean, I've been able to do this really only since COVID because oh, wow. before that people wouldn't have accepted it, yeah. but I usually introduce it. I say, let me tell, tell you a little bit about the nervous system and how it works. And here's the sympathetic and the parasympathetic system. And this is what they do to you. And if you're always in one system, this is what it's shutting down on the other side. And so to balance it, you're going to be better at work, right? And they're going, yeah, yeah, yeah. So they feel more safe because they're getting more information. And then you ask their permission, right? So you go, could we try a little exercise to see how you feel? And if you don't notice anything, fine. Let's just test it and see if it works for you, right? Like I've never had anyone say no. If they don't want to, but one person said, I don't want to participate, I'll just observe. I say, no problem, you just watch. And they watch and they go, wow, that was like a big change. Let me, I'm going to try that too, right? So that didn't happen before, but now it's not so hard to get people to try something different because they are just, they just don't even know what to do anymore. They're so stressed out. So, um, and the violence and people flying off, off, you know, really flying off their, their, um, their way out of their way dysregulated. Mm-hmm. And so people are just ang- just so please give me something that's going to help. So now it's a little bit easier, but I always start with that safety parameter of let me give you some knowledge about it. Let me ask you your permission. Let's just try this and have, it may not work for you. That's fine. Let's just give, do it for a minute. It's only a minute of your life, that kind of thing. And um, you'll still get some people who resist, but it basically, I usually don't have, have that issue. Um, the only person who consistently resisted was a social worker who was very dysregulated herself and really... <laughs> Interesting, because they're using it in schools now. Like I, I, yeah. I know superintendents that use it for students that, mm-hmm. that are having challenges in the classroom. And I think, oh, you guys are so lucky because I, I remember okay. standing up in front of a big group of my peers and watching their faces just go, what are you doing? And yeah, no, we're not going to do this. And I thought, yeah, oh. yeah. I th- but part of it for me also comes from, I, I mean, I have a background in drama. Mm-hmm. And so I would just walk into any workshop and I'd go, so everybody stand up. All right, raise your right hand. And I would never said, okay, we're going to do drama. Is that okay? Never. I never told them what I was. I just say, okay, everybody stand up. Okay, raise your right hand. Do this, right? And then after, so what was that like for you? And then after I go, so that was drama. What did you think? They go, no, that can't be drama because I was good at it and it was fun. So, <laughs> wow, that's good. I like that. Yeah. So, so in order to rethink work, informed by this new understanding that you've uncovered about the greatness that we're destined to achieve as a human race. And I think that's such a noble cause. As I was watching what your book is about and what you're all about, I thought, wow, this is what we need right now, especially after the past few episodes I've had on workplace burnout and there is a crisis. Mm -hmm. And, and, I think maybe this is why I lost my questions for you in the first place is to think about them again and really ask them from a way that they came from my heart, my emotional side after, you know, I got over the fact that, oh my gosh, I have to do this again. But Mm -hmm. it just made me bring my soul more into this for you. But what do you want our listeners to take away from this interview? What would be your final thoughts about what you want them to ponder for a bit on improving our workplace and make them happier. Well, just that concept of I have the power or I have agency to choose a soul enhancing thought, word and action. I can do that. I can also choose soul diminishing, it's up to me. So I, and and when people realize they have that agency, they tend to more err on the, what can I do that would be soul enhancing? And, and if you look around you and you go, okay, like you were commenting on my background, I'm noticing your background too, you know, peop, a lot of people work in very ugly work environments. It, that's also soul diminishing. You look at any kind of um, despotic, tyrannical rule or war, what do they do? They reduce everything to rubble and ugliness and gray. No color, no expansion. You can't think or create or do anything. It's just restrictive. So when people start seeing how, how effective that is, to choose to 
to be soul enhancing and even within yourself am i is this a soul a soul enhancing thought if not maybe i just need sleep maybe i need to be compassionate with myself and that's soul enhancing too right so when you start thinking that way it makes such a big difference in the way you approach work and there I, there's more in the book about communities and what their role is and institutions and what their role is and what you know models and things that they can use and reflection questions and things they can use to get started on it but just from a, an individual listener's perspective i think choose to be soul enhancing is is the thing i'd like people to take away well that's a good one because that really stuck out to me definitely in the very beginning so for people who want to learn more about your book about your podcast and the work you do at shift management inc is the best place your website shiftworkplace.com yeah and there's um that shows all of my work also my podcast pages up there and then there's a tab that says book and if you click on that it goes right away to the places where you can order the book and um, I think this would make a good lunch and learn the book would make a good lunch and learn um, even just to take the chapter on the body would be really good lunch and learn because you know you start with breath and then you move through um, people's relationship with food which is so unhealthy um, and how can we how can we rebalance our relationship with food and with water and with movement and why do we always want to be exercising but we don't do it how do we how do we integrate that and so just that alone would be so good for people to talk about at work and then they don't have to go do anything about it they don't have to work on themselves they just have to be aware of it and they start to auto correct accordingly right everything starts from that awareness Definitely. And your videos and like what, what you said that your publisher noticed that your marketing materials are incredible. They really are moving. You know, I got a lot out of the, your video right on your book page. It talked about how this book is soul enhancing and mm-hmm. how it's going to make an impact. And, and I really felt it. And I think you, you've done an incredible job releasing this book. And I, I really do hope that people watch this interview and have a look at it and see what they can take away to make their workplaces um, happier. Thank you. I really appreciate those kind words. Absolutely. Well, Dr. Gervais, I want to thank you for meeting with me today and sharing your vision for a happier, more productive workplace with the world. You've given me a lot to think about and strategies to shift to soul enhancing thoughts to bring joy to my work and ways we can shift away when we're not being soul enhancing. So I'll put all the links to your website, um, your social media in the show notes. And I want to thank you so much for your time and coming on the podcast. And thank you so much for this lovely, thoughtful and well-researched interview. I really appreciate the time and effort you put into it. Thank you. If you're enjoying the Neuroscience Meets Social and Emotional Learning podcast, please don't forget to subscribe so you'll stay up to date with our new episodes. While you're there, please feel free to give us a review or a five-star rating as it helps others find us. For more information on our programs, books, and tools for schools and the workplace, visit us at www.achieveit360.com.